And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is December 22nd, 356th day of the year. Just nine days remain till the year's over with. And history and observances. This is um, on this day in 1894. French Army officer Alfred Dreyfus was sentenced to life in prison for treason. That's uh, something to uh, keep in mind. National holidays. Mathematics Day. Some folks had done that up, but go figure. Forefathers Day, where you celebrate your ancestors. You know, to to have descendants, there have to be forefathers. No holiday could be more American in nature than Forefathers Day. Celebrates the first ever pilgrims who crossed the ocean, looking for a new home. National Cookie Exchange Day, National Short Persons Day. Really, that ought to be celebrated on the shortest day of the year. National Date Nut Bread Day. National Flashlight Day. Festival of Winter Walks. Blue Christmas celebrates the first responders. Gift of Sight Month. Operation Santa Paws. Worldwide Food Service Safety Month. National Write a Business Plan Month. National Tie Month. National Para Month, Universal Human Rights Month. All that said, eighty sixty nine Vespasian's proclaimed Emperor of Rome. His predecessor, Vitellius, attempts to abdicate, but is captured and killed at uh, Gemonian Stairs. You know, a crown doesn't sit comfortably on everybody's head. In 401 A.D., Pope Innocent I is elected, and he was not by any means innocent. He's the only pope to succeed his father in that office. 856, Damgan earthquake. Earthquake near the Persian city of Damgan kills an estimated 200,000 people. That is the sixth deadliest earthquake in recorded history. In 880 AD, Luoyang, eastern capital of the Tang Dynasty, is captured by rebel leader Huang Chao during the reign of Emperor Kaijong. 1135, three weeks after the death of King Henry I of England, Stephen of Boys uh, claims the throne, is privately crowned King of England, begins the English anarchy. 1216, Pope Honorus III approves the Dominican Order, the Papal Bull of Confirmation, Religiosum Vitam. 1489, forces of the Catholic monarchs Ferdinand and Isabella take control of Almira from the Nazarene ruler of Granada, Mohammed the Thirteenth. 1769, Sino-Burmese War, war ends with the King Dynasty withdrawing from Burma forever. 1788, Huyen Hui uh, proclaims himself Emperor Quang Trung, uh, in effect abolishing on his uh, own the Li Dynasty. 1790, the Turkish fortress of Ismail is stormed and captured by Alexander Suvorov and his Russian armies. 1807, the Embargo Act, forbidding trade with all foreign countries, is passed by Congress at the urging of President Thomas Jefferson. 1808, Ludwig von Beethoven conducts and performs in concert at the Theater of Anderwin in Vienna, the premiere of his Fifth Symphony, Sixth Symphony, Fourth Piano Concerto, and Choral Fantasy. 1851, India's first freight trains operated in the Rookie, transport material for the construction of the 
Ganges Dam. 1851, the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. burns to the ground. 1864, American Civil War. Savannah, Georgia, falls to the Union Army of the Tennessee. General Sherman tells President Abraham Lincoln, I beg to present you as a Christmas gift the city of Savannah. 1885, Ito Hirobumi, a samurai, becomes the first prime minister of Japan. 1888, Christmas meeting of 1888, considered to be the official start of the Faroese independence movement. 1890, Cornwallis Valley Railway begins operation between Kentville and Kingsport, Nova Scotia. 1891, asteroid 323 Brucia becomes the first asteroid discovered using photography. 1894, on this date, the Dreyfus Affair, as I said earlier, Begins in France with Alfred Dreyfus wrongly convicted of treason. 1906, a 7.9 earthquake strikes Jingjing, uh, China, killing at least 280. 1920, the Goelro Economic Development Plan is adopted by the 8th Congress of Soviets, or the uh, Russian SFSR. 1921, opening of the Visva Bharati College, also known as uh, Santana Keaton College, now the Visna Bharat University in India. 1937, the Lincoln Tunnel opens to traffic in New York City. I've been in it, and I don't recommend it. 1939, Indian Muslims observe a day of deliverance to celebrate the resignations of members of the Indian National Congress over their not having been consulted over the decision in World War II with the United Kingdom. 1940, World War II, Himara is captured by the Greek army. For those that don't know what Himara is or was, it's a municipality and region in uh, southern Albania. It's uh, got a total area of 220,000.83 square miles and lies between the Saronian Mountains and the Albanian Ionian Seacoast. The traditionally perceived borders of this region uh, gradually shrank during the Ottoman Empire, being reduced to the town of Himara and villages on the coastline. It's predominantly predominantly an ethnic Greek um, area. So when the Greek army captured it, it... uh, it was like all home week. 1942, World War II, Adolf Hitler signs the order to develop the V-2 rocket as a weapon. 1944, World War II, Battle of the Bulge. German troops demand the surrender of U.S. troops at Bastogne, Belgium, prompting the famous one-word one word re- reply by General Anthony McAuliffe. Nuts. 1944, World War II. People's Army of Vietnam is formed to resist Japanese occupation of Indochina, which is now Vietnam. Uh, 1945, President Truman issues an executive order giving World War II refugees precedence in visa applications under U.S. immigration quotas. 1948, and of course, Operation Paperclip bypassed everything. Even though Truman also said no member of the Iron Guard could from Romania could immigrate. Intelligence uh, personnel just changed the personnel files. 1948, Sajafruddin Paranagara establishes the emergency government of the Republic of Indonesia in West Sumatra. On this day, 1963, the cruise ship Laconia Burned is uh, 290 kilometers, or 180 miles, north of Madeira, Portugal, with the loss of 128 people. 1964, the first test flight of the SR-71 Blackbird takes place at Air Force Plant 42 in Palmdale, California. The SR-71 Blackbird, in certain areas, is still flying. 1965, in the U.K., a 70 miles per hour speed limit is applied to all rural roads, including motorways, for the first time. 1968, Cultural Revolution. 
People's Daily posted the instructions of Mao Zedong that the intellectual youth must go to the country and be educated from living in rural poverty. So you get that college degree, you go pick beans or you plant cotton. And that was Mao Zedong's idea of what would build a strong country. And the 71 International Aid Organization, Doctors Without Borders, is founded by Bernard Kushner and a group of journalists in uh, Paris, France. Yes, that's what we need, journalists deciding who gets medical care. They can't even tell the truth on CNN. Nineteen seventy-three, a Royal Air Marat Sud Aviation Caravelle crashes near Tangier, Abu Khalif Airport in Tangier, Morocco, killed 106. Nineteen seventy-four, Grand Comora and Julian and Mohel vote to become independent nation of Comoros. Uh, Mayotte remains under French administration. 1974 also saw the house of former British Prime Minister Edward Heath attacked by members of the provisional IRA. 1975, President Gerald put in front of him in our trip over at Ford creates the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in response to the 1970s energy con- uh, crisis, which our current president is happily depleting. 1978, the pivotal third plenum of the 11th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party is held in Beijing with Deng Xiaoping uh, reversing Mao-era policies to pursue a program for Chinese economic reform. 1984, subway vigilante Bernard Goetz shoots four would-be muggers on a two-express train, um, a number two express train in Manhattan section of New York. There was an effort made to prosecute him, and right now, Folks are attacked on the subway every day, and the transgressors are patted on the head and sent home. 1987, Zimbabwe, the political parties ZANU and ZAPU reach an agreement that ends the violence in the Matambalan uh, region, known as the Gukura Hunde. 1989, Romanian Revolution, Communist President Romanian of Romania, Nicolae Ceausescu, is overthrown by Ion Nilescu for after days of bloody confrontation. The deposed dictator and his wife Elena flee Bucharest in a helicopter as protesters erupt in cheers. 1989, German reunification. Berlin's Brandenburg Gate reopens after nearly 30 years, effectively ending the division of East and West Germany. 1990, Lech is elected president of Poland. 1990 also saw the final independence of Marshall Islands and the Federated States of Micronesia after termination of the trusteeship. 1992, during an approach to Tripoli International Airport, a Boeing 727 operating as Libyan Arab Airlines Flight 1103 collides in midair with a Libyan Air Force Mikoyan Gurevich MiG-23, killing 157 people. 1996, Airborne Express Flight 827 crashes in Narrows, Virginia. Killed all six people on board. 1997, Actuo Massacre. Attendees at a prayer meeting of Roman Catholic activists for indigenous causes in a small village of Actuo in the Mexican state of Chiapas are massacred by paramilitary forces. 1997, Somali Civil War. Hussein Farah Adid relinquishes the disputed title of President of Somalia by signing the Cairo Declaration in Cairo, Egypt, first major step toward reconciliation in Somalia since 1991. 1999, just out taken off from London Stansted Airport, Korean Air Cargo Flight 8509 crashes into Hatfield Forest near Great um, Hollingbury, killing all four people on board. 2001, Burhanuddin Rabani, Political leader of the Northern Alliance hands over power in Islamic State of Afghanistan to the interim government headed by President Hamid Karzai. Also in 2001, Richard Reed, the shoe bomber, attempts to destroy a passenger airliner by igniting explosives hidden in his shoes aboard American Airlines Flight 63. That was a totally new take on the suicide bomber. And don't you know that would have hurt if that thing had gone off in his shoe? 
2008, an ash dike ruptured at a solid waste containment area in a Tennessee Valley Authority coal-fired power plant in Roan County, Tennessee. Released 4.2 million, that's 1.1 billion U.S. gallons of coal by a fly ash slurry in the largest industrial spill in U.S. history. 2010, the repeal of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, the 17-year-old policy banning homosexuals serving openly in the United States military is signed into law by President Barack, look at me, I'm a god, Obama. 2012, Bashir Ahmed Bilur of Awami National Party and eight others are killed in a Pakistan Taliban bomber's uh, suicide attack in the Daki Nalbandi area near uh, Kisa Kwani Bazaar. 2016, a study finds the VSV EBOV vaccine against Ebola virus between 70 and 100 percent effective, making it the first proven vaccine against the disease. 2017, United Nations Security Council Resolution 2397 against North Korea is unanimously approved. Not that these um, resolutions do really do any good. 2017, President Donald Trump signs the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. 2018, a tsunami caused by an eruption of Anak Krakatau in Indonesia kills at least 430 and injures almost 1,000 others. And in 2018... The 2018-2019 U.S. federal government shutdown, the longest shutdown of the U.S. federal government in history, begins. Of course, um, I can't say that anybody really noticed it was shut down. Sometimes the government's its own worst enemy. All right, we've been talking about Haunted hospitals and asylums and what have you. And we're going to talk more about that today. Um, Christmas is Monday. And uh, everybody I needed to talk with has taken uh, um, yesterday, today, and of course Monday off. Well, the uh, keep in mind that um, there's a movement afoot by the left, and most of the wacky movements come from the left, to actually do away with the religious aspects of Christmas. Um, you know, and their arguments are the same tired old arguments. Christ wasn't born on December 25th, and yada, 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 yada. Actually, December 25th is the birthday of Saul Invictus, the sun god. And why it was taken uh, and declared to be uh, the birthday of Jesus Christ was in order to get the the semi-educated peasants of Europe to accept Christianity by tying it to something they really understood, which was the pagan religion. All right. Um, That having been said... The, we're going to see, I think, in 2024, pitch battles between the liberal left, who wants to change everything, and the conservative right. And those that don't support either side, um, they're going to be caught in the middle. But it needs to, to keep um, the perspective. All right, um, we were talking yesterday about the Yorktown, Yorktown Memorial Hospital. And, of course, some of these facilities, if you've never been in them, are so massive that you can actually get lost. Now, the Yorktown Memorial Hospital is in Yorktown, Texas. And that's not a major city by any means, but it's got a... Uh, A reputation. And the peanut gallery is tuning up. Which means someone's coming. Anyway, while they were exploring one of the halls in the um, Yorktown Hospital, 
This was the preliminary walkthrough before doing the invest lockdown investigation. And two individuals walking down the hall, and they saw a doctor in a lab coat coming out of a uh, treatment room and walking into the uh, what was originally the doctor's lounge. They could see the it was a solid apparition, just like a flesh and blood person. The problem is, they realized they could see through the white coat. And the head was a little fuzzy. And apparently that was the single most impressive experience they had at the Yorktown Memorial Hospital. There's a... Um, another investigator who had been to the Yorktown Memorial so many times she lost count. She said it was a great place to train new investigators. Either make them or break them real quick. One of the first visits... Um, this particular investigator uh, is conducting some what she called flashlight experiments in the office of uh, what had been the office of a particular doctor, which is located on the first floor near the, the entrance. And for those who might not be familiar with this particular technique, flashlight experimentation involves requesting any spirits present to manipulate a flashlight. That's how the spirit is told to answer questions. Turn it off or turn it on. Some agreed-to patterns, such as one flash for yes and two flashes for no. Very simple technique, which sometimes reveals fascinating results. And uh, this investigator, her cohort, she used multiple flashlights, which is necessary in order to rule out uh, mechanical issues as a cause of the lights flashing. And so they were able to get yes-no answers to most of their questions. But the apparitions seen in the hospital aren't just restricted to uh, apparitions of doctors. There's a ghost of a former lab technician named Jacob who's been sighted in the same area as that of the white-coated doctor. He's seen walking past a physician's lounge and passing through the lab area in which he once ran tests during his lifetime. And it's only fitting, given the facility's close ties to the Felician Sisters of the Roman Catholic Church, that a ghostly nun wearing a dark habit has all been seen drifting through the now deserted corridors. Yorktown Memorial Hospital's tour coordinator and overall groundskeeper is a man by the name of Mike. He lives in a trailer on the grounds and spends a great deal of time there. So you would expect him to be the authority on whether the old hospital is haunted or not. And he has said unequivocally the hospital has ghosts, the good kind, and also has the bad kind. And he said uh, paranormal attacks have taken place there where people are being slapped and punched and kicked, scratching and choking by unseen assailants is another common and frightening occurrence. Happens most often upstairs in what's known as the nun's lounge or the nun's corridor. Investigators and visitors are, have pointed out uh, through the years that quite a few of the attacks seem to center on people who with tattoos and other such body markings, which, of course, is something frowned on by the nuns. So it may be somehow some number of the nuns who used to work in that area still disapprove of the manner in which those uninvited visitors have chosen to adorn their body. Well, one rather outspoken investigator, doesn't buy the tattoo theory. She says she's seen and been with plenty of people who have tattoos and plenty that didn't. Same things happen to um, either way. So she don't think the tattoo is a deciding factor. It, uh, she seems to think it's based on the respect they show while in that area. The more evidence and communications that we tend to get, and sometimes it can be the uh, individual's perspective, I would think, more likely. The clear-cut example of the be careful what you wish for, one paranormal investigator was asking one of the child spirits that haunts the hospital. This particular young girl's name was said to be Stacy, to make her presence known or to give him a sign of her existence. Well, according to a ghost hunter named uh, Jason Arnold, Stacy was a 
patient in the hospital, unfortunately passed away uh, from unknown causes. And following a high-pitched childlike giggle, a rock was thrown directly at the surprise investigator, who, um, as you might suspect, uh, decided he had to be someplace else and left forthwith. Jacob's story is further corroborated by another investigator who believes that the Shaxley uh, had seen Stacy make an appearance once, crossing the basement hallway. Things turned from lighthearted to dark very quickly one night when this investigator and her team were trying to communicate with the spirit of the young girl. She said it seemed as though she was communicating with Stacy through the, the ghost box, which we discussed yesterday. And everything went fine for a few minutes, and then another voice came through that most definitely was not the little girl and actually threatened the investigators. They could hear the girls cry at the same time, and the investigator demanded this new entity leave Stacy alone and let us talk to her, and they didn't cooperate. And then uh, she called on another spirit that she had had communications with, and he seemed to have been able to get her to safety. It was a bizarre event, and things like that um, are difficult to forget. I mean, when I, we were doing, uh, back in the 20 years I did ghost tours here, we had, uh, well, we had a Sarco, the very first smelter, or the oldest smelter in the state of Texas here in El Paso. And... Um, There was a ghost hunting group. Nobody did that until I started doing ghost tours, and suddenly everybody and their dog had a ghost team. And they they came on my show and was talking about what went on, and they invited me to go with them to investigate the smelter. They had not been able to get in, and I knew the people that uh, ran it, so I called them, and we... Um, we were going to spend the night at the smelter. And in fact, one young lady was late, a very attractive young lady, and security insisted on searching her. And then according to young lady, she was searched several times by the same security guard. Don't know what he, well, I do know what he was looking for, but I don't think he found it. And uh, we were allowed to, free run of every place and I talked to a number of the investigator, uh, the uh, security people and they said uh, they were always seeing strange things one night they were in a jeep because the smelter property was large and as they were heading for uh, one of the gates to make sure it was locked they met a work crew coming back from shoveling slag and by the time they could stop and get turned around to come back, the um, the work crew had vanished because nobody had worked there in 10 years. But occasionally, um, people will be seen um, going through what they did when the uh, smelter was active, and it's fascinating. And the uh, you have to remember, slag was brought in from various areas um, by train and dumped in great piles. And then it was brought into the smelter to be smelted down because in that slag is gold and all other kinds of elements. In fact, I'm told if all the slag that is still there was actually smelted down, there's enough gold estimated to be there to pay off the national debt. Though that before the current administration got in office, that is. And the problem is, there are also a lot of bodies in the slag. Slag continues to generate heat, and quite often homeless people, on the and West Texas can get extremely cold at night, would crawl into areas in the slag and make themselves little hidey holes and then sleep and then get up the next morning and go wherever they're going but when the slag is picked up and put on the trains 
and then dumped. Um, they don't know about the hidey holes when they dump the slag. And, of course, once that slag's on top of you, you're not getting out. So there's no telling how many bodies uh, are still lying in the, the hardened slag. Well, getting back to uh, Yorktown Memorial Hospital, according to uh, one of the investigators, the Stacy, the, the little ghost girl, spends most of her time on the first floor, but it's also been known to venture down into the basement. And in, uh, in one incident, he and another investigator at uh, the bottom of the basement stairs getting ready to climb up, and they were talking to one another when, with a digital voice recorder running in the background. And when they listened to the audio tapes later, a childlike voice could be heard mimicking their words and mannerisms, repeating them back in a way that young children uh, quite often do. One of the most frequently reported ghosts is that of a man by the name of Doug Richards, a heavy equipment mechanic who died in 1973. And sometimes he'll even appear on demand, as a pair of shocked investigators found out when they called out to him by name in one of the corridors. He looked up to see a large shadowy figure um, crossing the end of the hallway. And one thing we learned when I was doing the ghost tours um, ghosts can pop up at any time. And when you're in a town as old as this one is, um, and I've said many times, it's the uh, most haunted city in the country. You have no idea some of the things that have happened here. One of the most frequently reported ghosts uh, As I said, is Doug Richards, and he has. Uh, when you've got a name, quite often you can even find out the history. There's been a few electronic voice phenomena experiments done with Doug, and one investigator said this particular ghost even got it right up in his face and moved his fingers just inches from his eyes. He said he's as curious about us as we are about him. He, um, this particular investigator um, asked, why do you hang out? And the ghost answered, and it's caught on tape in the basement. And uh, this Doug Richards has also been uh, caught on some high-quality and very clear EVP, or Electronic Voice Phenomena. Um, he was asked to state his name, and what's on the recording is quite clearly uh, stated, Doug. Now, according to another investigator who's done a lot of trips to this uh, facility, Doug's without a doubt, um, many of the investigators' absolute favorite resident. Nobody seems to know where he came from, um, but they've only found him in the basement. Uh, and this investigator said she'd been told he's only, he only calls uh, two people by name, and she's one of them. They've caught multiple EVPs where she can address him and ask him if he knows who I am or if he can say my name, and more often than not, he does. And when she asks him, he say his name for us. So I know who we're talking to. He'll reply with a recorded EVP or on the ghost box. Um, and there's some of the investigators who actually think he kind of acts as a protector from from some of the other entities that uh, inhabit that facility. She says she was down in the hall in the basement, a group of four investigators at the end of the hall in the laundry room using the ghost box. That's a method of communicating with spirits. Not a lot of investigators use them. Uh, one of the investigators called a, uh, the investigator in question to get down there because her name kept uh, coming up with the box. And when she did, she started asking questions to see who it was. 
You know, nothing came through, and she got a bit aggravated with it and said something to the son of you got me down here, and you stopped talking. Are you scared now that I'm here? Well, the moment she said that, the room temperature dropped about 15 degrees and went even darker than it had been. And I quickly spit out three words, F-U-B. Needless to say, uh, this particular investigator is a little bit uh, perturbed. And suddenly a different voice came through and said, uh, leave, which turned out to be the voice of Doug. Well, as you might guess, investigators got out of there fast because even though they say ghosts cannot hurt you, they can cause issues that can result in hurt. That was the first of only two instances uh, that I've been able to find where everybody, uh, where people needed to step outside of the hospital to kind of get their act back together. Three of the four investigators that were there uh, when it happened actually left, refusing to go back in the building, even to get their personal belongings. And this investigator uh, that seems to have this rapport with Doug said she's actually seen him. She had a group of people with her in the basement that had never been in the hospital before, and she was telling them about Doug and the things that he had done in the past. And she asked him to come out and meet her friends that had come to meet him, and after a few requests and a few minutes across the hall, uh, they saw a, a full-bodied, dark human shape that appeared to be about six foot five and was very broad. And it crossed the hall in front of them and then vanished. You know, she thanked him in the same area where they uh, they saw the shadow across the hall. The um, sound came as if it was uh, responding to her thanks well for all practical purposes in our realm even though Doug may be big and, and, and brooding and, and still fear he's actually harmless um, and she likes to go back and talk to him just like you would with a favorite pet Came across in much the same way as you, you might speak of a distant but uh, must-missed relative for whom she obviously had infection. And she is the proud owner of a Class A EVP recording, that, uh, and they're very rare. That can be clearly determined to be clearly and distinctly a human voice that uh, can't just be written off as background noise or meaningless static. When she asked Doug specifically to speak his name into the digital voice recorder, she got a clear and distinct response, Doug. And she regrets this is the most impressive piece of evidence she's received uh, at Memorial Hospital because the group she had in the room with her was just totally floored about how fluid it was and how comfortable the environment was. And then they get that somebody else was there with them that they couldn't see. Well, that that can instill fear in some and in others. It's it's similar to a, a great reward. Well, other investigators have encountered the ghost of Doug Richards when they were down in the hospital basement. They were gathering up some infrared camera equipment that previously left behind there, and a female investigator looked down toward the end of the gloomy hallway where she she saw what she described as a darker-than-dark mass just standing there looking at her. She estimated it was six foot six inches high and the shape of a human body. Well, the uh, particular ghost hunter uh, gathered up the equipment and ran back upstairs. It can instill um, fear. I don't care how into ghost hunting you are. Well... Zach Baggins and the Ghost Adventures investigators um, did a lockdown at this facility, and they captured on camera what appears to be a shadowy form lurking in one of the corridors. Um, Zach Baggins reported uh, he had seen it with his own eyes. Now, most ghostly figures appear on uh, camera not don't aren't seen at the time the photograph is taken, but show up later. A number of other investigators from the Houston-based uh, contact paranormal research team and investigated the old work time Memorial Hospital over several nights in 2014 and said it was one of the most active places they'd ever been to. 
crew of the Contact Paranormal varied their research methods by mixing up the number of investigators in the building at various times. On occasion, going so far as to only have one person in the building alone, and that would, I would think, be somewhat uncomfortable. Well, one of the investigators described what happened the first night they spent shut inside that old hospital. Um, on the first night, as they were sitting up there, uh, what they called their base camp, one of the investigators saw a, a gray shadow pass in front of the chapel. And this turned out to be the spirit that's uh, known as the Gray Man. First hour of their investigation, um, they were keeping vigil outside the priest quarters down in the basement and heard the sound of three disembodied footsteps in the area. And then one of the investigators saw a blue light coalesce in the same place just outside the entrance doorway. Clustered upstairs in the chapel and in the area set aside for delivering babies, the rest of the team experienced nothing even remotely memorable. They had no way of knowing that ultimately a Yorktown memorial was not going to disappoint them. On the first night, it felt like an abandoned building, dusty and dark with a slight smell of mildew. But when they showed up on the second night, it felt like something had changed. The building was alive, like they woke it up the night before. There was a heavy feeling in the air that gave you a sense of uneasiness. And they began to feel that they were being watched. Well, they noticed the atmosphere inside the ramshackle little building felt different on the second night. And on that particular night, they had fewer of their members present. It was quiet at first, but slowly became more active as the evening wore on. They reported something invisible, not caught on the video monitor, was heard to slide across the hallway with only one investigator being present in the building. And unbeknownst to this individual, the sound of footsteps was recorded coming up the staircase at that very same time. Now, the investigator didn't hear the footsteps at the time they happened, finding out only upon playing back and reviewing the digital sound recordings. And as the evidence goes, this particular EVP is more impressive by the fact it was caught not only on digital voice recorders, but also on the feed from the camera that was covering that particular corridor. Now, nothing could be seen moving, but the sound was certainly uh, evident. When the crew from Contact Paranormal Research discussed these footsteps uh, with the caretaker the next day, he said, told them in a very fact, uh, matter-of-fact way that footsteps were a daily occurrence at Yorktown Memorial. He remains convinced that this is the ghost of the caretaker that looked after the hospital before he had the job. He called him a heavy-footed man who walked along that same path every night until he died. Well, nor was this to be the only auditory phenomena that they captured. Squeaking noise of a gurney or medicine cart of some kind has also been recorded. Sound seems to advance up to the doorway of what was once the pharmacy before going back again in the direction it had come from. Um, similar types of uh, recordings were caught at various other locations. Piano keys were heard and recorded at Yorktown, along with a broad array of other noises in what could have been a, should have been a peaceful and quiet old building. So the question always comes up, could somebody of flesh and blood have snuck into the hospital and evading it on the investigators, but also the caretaker in order to play a trick on the, the ghost hunters? Well... Observers were posted at each end of the court at the time of the recording, and there were no interlopers. The sound of the cartwheel squeaking was something completely new to the caretaker, and he was impressed with the recording when it was played back to him. And determined to rule out any natural causes, the four investigators split up and scrutinized each and every wheel, cart, chair, table, and trash bin in the entire building in an attempt to replicate the noise. And having been unsuccessful inside the building itself, they went one step further and expanded their search to the outside grounds, all to no avail. Nothing sounded like the noise they had recorded. After the investigation, uh, they went so far as to contact the Felician sisters directly, and they learned from the sisters that the old medical carts they had used in the hospital were 
and towards they prone to getting squeaky with age and wear and tear. So, some entity is still doing their job, pushing a squeaky cart up and down the hall. Well, investigators believe that two most active spirits haunting Yorktown Memorial are both females. One being the ghost of uh, young Stacy, and the other being Debbie, a woman who was supposedly stabbed to death down in the basement. I talked about that yesterday. It uh, was allegedly a love triangle. And one of the men was upset when he found out about his, uh, that Stacy had another um, interest, and Stacy wound up stabbed. Now, both the spirits have responded to several questions asked by the investigators during EVP sessions. And the answer is a little longer than the average EVP and sometimes form complete sentences, such as it's time to leave us alone or get out. And a disembodied male voice, uh, male-sounding voices recorded by uh, the ghost hunters appear to be more clipped and terse, such as the one that seemed to growl, you should be afraid, be very afraid. So, they've asked who the owner of this angry male voice might be. According to one theory, uh, the voice belongs to the murderer who stabbed Debbie to death down in the basement before finally meeting his own demise in a similarly violent fashion. According to the lead investigator, all the research they've done on Yorktown leads always back to the man that killed Debbie. Now, they don't yet have a name for this man, but he's the only one who died at the hospital in such a violent way. He allowed the caretaker to listen to a lot of the EVPs, and he agreed this is the man that killed Debbie, and information came from uh, the uh, caretaker's own experiences, not of other teams who have investigated the hospital. Well, the, the grand prize of every ghost hunter is, of course, to see a full-bodied apparition in some of the... Uh, paranormal investigators uh, had the uh, patience to wait for the reward uh, by citing the ghost of the so-called gray man. So at this point, they were asked to explain who the gray man is. Neither the teams of, nor the caretaker seem to be aware of the gray man's identity, but he's been seen frequently within the walls of the old hospital, walking aimlessly through the deserted rooms and hallways. By far the most common location in which he's seen is the doorway of the chapel, where witnesses report that he often lingers before abruptly darting away and disappearing into the shadows. The uh, One of the investigators first sighting him, cited him as they were standing outside of their... Uh, base camp within the building, directly down the hallway from the chapel, caught a glimpse of movement out of the corner of his eye and turned to see it walk out of sight to the right side of the doorway. Well, he immediately went to check that area and didn't find anybody, and all the investigators were accounted for at the time. The area in front of the chapel is very dark, and when he's in the area, shadows has a grayish hue to it. Lights the area, and you can clearly see the outline of his body before he vanishes. And the area starts to lighten, and then there's the outline of what appeared to be a man standing in the doorway, and as soon as you register it, he vanishes. He's gone. You check the area, and you don't find anybody. Well, other sightings that have been reported to happen exactly that way. The only difference is... Um, this was the second trip to the hospital, not the first. And the caretaker says this happens to him and to other investigators all the time. Incredibly, the encounter with the gray man wasn't the only apparition that the uh, the ghost team uh, would encounter during their time at Yorktown. The patient, uh, but initials T.J., whose dead body was abandoned outside the hospital doors, was also intent on making his uh, presence felt. According to uh, the lead investigator, they finished up the investigation and 
two investigators are waiting for the caretaker to come lock up and uh, one of the investigators was standing in the hallway facing the after hours ER entrance and the other one was facing the front entrance of the hospital. Caretaker appears after the at the after hours ER entrance and walks down the hallway toward him. And after he got to him, he asked how the night had been and right at that moment, um, one of the investigators heard a strange sound. At that uh, point in time, the two investigators, I'm sorry, one of the investigators and the caretaker saw the apparition standing in the hallway right next to the after-hours emergency room entrance, fully clothed, staring straight ahead. There for a second and gone, right in front of their eyes. He's wearing blue jeans and a darkest long-sleeved shirt. Now, one of the investigators did not see the apparition. He was facing the front entrance. According to the caretaker, the this is a figure he sees on a regular basis and believe it to be T.J., a man who died after being dropped off at the entrance. Now, when the hospital was still operational, the emergency room doors would be closed and locked at about 10 o'clock every night. And any prospective patient would have to ring a bell mounted on the wall in order to get help. Whether the bell was never rung on a particular Friday night or maybe the nun assigned to night duty never heard it ring, you can't really know after the fact, which it was, but what is known is when the emergency doors were opened up for business on Saturday morning, T.J.'s body was found sprawled on the ground outside the, the emergency room doors, died of a heroin overdose, and his ghost is most commonly seen in and around the area of the emergency room. Now, keep in mind that I've only touched the, the high points of the um, what the investigators found. And having done a number of ghost investigations myself, I can tell you that there's always something going on. You may not be able to see it, but sometimes you can sense it or even hear it. And on that basis, we come to the end of the day show. Now, Christmas is Monday, and I hope you all have a very nice Christmas. Get all the things you've been hoping for. And we will see you again on Christmas Day. Till then, Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.